Hi, and welcome back to the Itchy Podcast. My name is Lindsay, and I'm the Managing Editor for Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology, or Itchy. Itchy is the official journal for the Society for Healthcare Epidemiology of America. In each episode of the Itchy Podcast, we hear from authors of articles recently published in the journal. Today's episode features two articles from the October 2019 issue. That's volume 40, issue 10. First up, Janine Leal discusses her study, Attributable Costs and Length of Stay of Hospital-Acquired Clostridioides Difficile, a population-based matched cohort study in Alberta, Canada. Then, Debbie Ben-David discusses her article, The Association Between Implementation of Second-Tier Prevention Practices and Clapsy Incidents, a National Survey. After listening, please be sure to go to the October issue to read the full articles discussed in today's episode. Our first guest today is Janine Leal, first author of the article, Attributable Costs and Length of Stay of Hospital-Acquired Clostridioides Difficile, a population-based matched cohort study in Alberta, Canada. Dr. Leal, thanks for joining us today. To begin, will you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much. I'm a research scientist in infection prevention and control at Alberta Health Services in Alberta, Canada, as well as an assistant professor of healthcare epidemiology at the University of Calgary. I recently completed my PhD in health economics, and I currently also have a master's degree in healthcare epidemiology. Great. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Um, To start, can you give our listeners a little bit of the background for this study? Sure. So the prevention of Clostridioides difficile infection, or CDI, particularly among hospitalized patients, is a provincial and national priority here in Canada and in Alberta, given the observed morbidity, mortality, and economic burden in this patient population. So identifying the costs associated with hospital-acquired CDI or all of their healthcare-associated infections is essentially useful for two reasons. So one, to highlight the burden in terms of how much it costs the healthcare system to treat these infections, which can allow decision-makers and the public to take notice of it. And second, it can enhance our understanding of how costs will change with the adoption of extra infection control and the potential cost savings that can accrue from preventing these cases of hospital-acquired CDI, as well as other healthcare-associated infections. And so this work was essentially uh, done to highlight this economic burden of HACDI in Alberta to provide our local decision-makers with the empirical data they need to support decisions on whether to implement strategies to prevent HACDI. And so what did you do in this study and what did you find? So we conducted a multi-center propensity score match study where we compared adult inpatients with hospital-acquired CDI with adult inpatients who did not develop CDI to determine specifically the attributable costs and length of stay of hospital-acquired CDI in our provincial healthcare system. And we did this using data over a four-year period across 14 of our hospitals. Incident cases of our clinical HA CDI were included, and it, they were provided by our Provincial Infection Prevention and Control Surveillance Program. We also had data of a cohort of nearly 2 million hospitalizations among patients 
without CDI, which were used to match to the HACDI cases based on propensity scores. So for each of these, the cases and these controls, we calculated a propensity score, which essentially equates to the probability of a patient having hospital-acquired CDI conditional on observed uh, baseline characteristics. And in the calculation of the propensity score, we accounted for several of these characteristics. So we looked at things such as comorbidities, previous healthcare encounters, and baseline or on admission laboratory markers that have been shown to be associated with increased costs, length of stay, and mortality. And then once these cases were matched on this score, we, we then further matched on exposure time. And this was particularly important in this study, given that with hospital-acquired CDI, the longer a person stays in hospital, the greater their risk of acquiring C. difficile. And so if this time in hospital prior to acquiring C. difficile is not accounted for, any estimate of cost or length of stay will be overestimated. And essentially what happens in analyses that don't account for that is the time from admission to the occurrence of the C. difficile episode is incorrectly assigned to patients with HACDI, thus resulting in that overestimate. And I think the final thing I'd like to highlight in what we did is that we used microcosting data, which we were fortunate enough to have available at these 14 hospitals. And microcosting data allows the allocation of costs to individual healthcare services based on the actual use of those services. And this method is much more precise and accurate. It allows uh, you to evaluate variation over time and patients. And in this particular analysis, it allows us to isolate the burden associated specifically with HACDI compared to just reporting the sum of medical costs for these cases. So for example, with the use of gross costing methods instead. And often the gross costing methods are confounded by costs of other illnesses and comorbidities, also resulting in an overestimation of the costs of, uh, of infection. So in this case, hospital-acquired CDI. And um, we, we chose this method, um, like I said, because we had the data available, but also um, leading health economists such as uh, Michael Drummond and others um, suggest that microcosting should be the gold standard for defining costs given its precision and accuracy. So what we found is that using our robust methods and our granular costing approaches, we estimated that in Alberta, Canada, hospital-acquired CDI results in a 27% increase in attributable costs. And that corresponded to just over $14,000 US in excess costs to treat patients with hospital-acquired CDI, who on average in our data cost around $67,000 to treat compared to the $53,000 for patients without CDI. Additionally, we found that HACDI results in a 13% increase in length of stay, indicating that patients with HACDI remain in hospital for nearly six days more compared to patients without CDF. And so overall, we you know, see that high attributable costs and length of stay can be used to justify the cost of strategies to prevent C. difficile amongst hospitalized patients. And what would you say are the most relevant takeaways from this study for itchy readers? Sure. So essentially, 
HACDI clearly increases length of stay and direct healthcare costs. And this suggests that there are fewer healthcare dollars and resources available to treat and manage other patients due to a largely preventable outcome among hospitalized patients. And we uh, anticipate that our estimates of costs and length of stay will assist decision makers, healthcare providers, and patients understand the healthcare burden of HACDI and will uh, enable them to assess potential cost savings or bed days saved due to preventing these cases. And did the limitations of your study raise any future research questions that you'd like to see investigated? Yes, absolutely. So there are three areas that I would like to continue exploring. Um, the first, given that uh, healthcare associated infections, including HACDI, are considered time varying exposures, and there is a time dependent bias in the association between, between them and length of stay or costs, uh, future studies must include methods to address this bias. And so in our study, propensity score matching is one approach to try to account for this. But there are other more advanced techniques, such as multi-state modeling, which could prove to be useful in accurately accounting for time-dependent bias uh, present in the costing studies of healthcare-associated infections. And so I think it's important to explore these advanced techniques to ensure we get high-quality and accurate estimates of costs and length of stay, particularly if these estimates are being used for decision-making around uh, interventions to prevent these infections. Second, this study only considered direct costs from the healthcare payer's perspective. Uh, it didn't include costs such as uh, physician costs, outpatient costs, or productivity losses. And so this is an area I'd like to explore further to understand the complete burden of hospital-acquired CDI, um, not only to just our system, but to the broader society as well. And finally, and probably more importantly, is um, further work is needed to measure what we call the utility decrement associated with CDI to quantify quality adjusted life years in economic evaluations such as cost utility analyses. But more importantly, what I'd like to look at um, and, and do is quantify and express the impact CDI has on a patient's health-related quality of life and to understand the impact these infections have to the patient and their care, caregivers from, from their perspective. Well, Dr. Leal, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your research with us on the Itchy Podcast. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Our next guest is Dr. Debbie Ben-David, first author of the article, The Association Between Implementation of Second-Tier Prevention Practices and CLAPSI Incidents, a National Survey. Dr. Ben-David, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Before we get started, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, yes, my name is Debbie Ben-David. I'm a hospital epidemiologist, and I work in the National Center for Infection Control in Israel. Great. Well, thanks for joining us today. Um, to start, will you tell us a little bit of the background for this study? Uh, definitely. Well, centerline associated bloodstream infection is an important cause of morbidity and mortality among hospitalized patients. During the last decade, multimodal interventions conducted in separate countries have resulted in marked reduction in CLAPSI rates. Uh, most CLAPSI prevention practices are focused on two bundles of prevention measures, insertion and maintenance bundles. And in addition to these basic measures, several supplementary or second-tier measures have been beneficial 
in preventing collapse, including, for instance, CHD impregnated dressing, daily CHD bathing, and the use of antiseptic cups. In 2012, the National Center for Infection Control in Israel initiated a national collapse prevention program that included insertion and maintenance bundles, monthly reporting, and biannual feedback. Following the intervention, a significant decrease was observed in the incidence of both a total bloodstream infection and CLAPSI, and between 2012 and 2016, the pooled mean CLAPSI rate fell from 7.2 to 4 per thousand central line days. Yet, CLAPSI incidents have remained high in some units. And so, can you describe what you did in this study and also what you found? So the aim of the study was to characterize the implementation of certain tier prevention measures in medical surgical ICUs in Israel, and to evaluate the association between these preventive measures and CLAPSI rates during the first six months of 2017. In June 2017, an online survey was sent to infection control unit staff in all 24 acute care hospitals in Israel. The question focused on 14 second-tier preventive elements of two domains, technology and implementation. Uh, among the technology practices uh, that were included in the survey were questions about the use of designated supply cars, type of antiseptic solution, CHD bathing, and the uh, use of CHD dressing. Uh, implementation practices uh, included questions about involvement of world champions, auditing line care, and the type and frequency of training programs. Uh, all 24 acute care hospitals within the, uh, with medical surgical ICU have completed the survey. Uh, we found large variation in implementation of second-tier prevention measures between facilities. Uh, this was ranging from three to 12 of the 14 measures that we asked. The average number of measures in the tertiary care hospitals was higher compared with medium and small size hospitals. Use of designated supply cards for line insertion was a single measure implemented in all hospitals. And while 70% of facilities have reported use of at least one novel technology, less than one third of the facilities conducted routine audits on line insertion and maintenance. Around 50% of the facilities conducted annual education and 37% incorporated simulation-based training. Uh, during the six months of 2017, the average collapse rate was 4.4 per thousand central line days. Uh, the average collapse rate in tertiary care hospitals was low compared with medium and small site hospitals. A higher number of measures was associated with low collapse rate. And for each additional measure, the incidence of CLAPSI decreased by 90%. Among the seven technology measures, uh, measures that we assessed, only CHD bathing approached the statistical significance. And within the implementation domain, simulation-based training, routine audits, and involvement of world champions were associated with low CLAPSI rates. And so what are the main conclusions, would you say, of this research, and how can they be implemented? Effective implementation 
had a key role in the successful CLAPSI prevention program and should incorporate a simulation-based training involvement of unit champions and routine compliance auditing. Staff education is an essential element of CLAPSI prevention programs. Most facilities use a variety of education methods, including lectures and self-study modules, but only simulation-based training was associated with low CLAPSI rates. Previous studies conducted in various professional fields have also suggested that simulation-based training is much more effective compared with traditional education. However, setting a national goal of continuous simulation-based training in each facility in the country is complex and very expensive. In contrast, maybe developing a national simulation training program could reach thousands of physicians and nurses and uh, in addition to implementing uniform standards of Lyme care. A second fi finding of our study was the importance of uh, conducting routine audits. The importance of uh, routine audits and reaching high compliance with all elements of insertion and maintenance bundles are reported by several studies. However, compliance was measured in less than 30% of the interventions. Continuous compliance auditing may be very resource intensive, and currently it is unclear whether observation uh, may be effect effectively performed by the working or whether external auditing is essential. And in addition, it's unclear how many observations are needed to influence performance. In addition, we found that uh, involvement of team members played an important role in successful uh, CLAPSI prevention intervention. Still little is uh, understood about how, what factors affect the type and number of champions required for effective implementation of evidence-based practices. Merely appointing champions may be ineffective. And it remains a challenge how to identify and recruit very busy physicians and nurses for long-term uh, interventions. Great. Well, thank you. Uh, before we conclude, do you have any final thoughts to share with our listeners? So to conclude, effective and long-term collapse prevention is challenging and requires a multimodal approach combining evidence-based practices with implementation strategies. The use of some proven in, uh, preventive measures was relatively low. We believe that awareness of these gaps can, can inform uh, future national interventions to improve patient safety. Great. Well, thank you again, Dr. Ben David, for joining us today on the ITCHI podcast. This concludes episode 13 of the ITCHI podcast. Please be sure to subscribe on either SoundCloud or iTunes, and thanks for listening.